Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Well, we are in, as we know, John. We were in John 14 there for, I think, seven weeks. And here we begin. We've just finished the upper room uh, discourse or the farewell or this is still part of the farewell discourse and Jesus as we know he's he's, he's finished he's instructed uh, the disciples he's comforted and he's corrected Judas has um, betrayed Christ which seems like ever ago since we talked about that and we we have then spoke for weeks on the Holy Spirit the comforter the paraclete but also the advocate the who will come and lead us to all truth and he's closed with that and then they've stood up they've left the the upper room as they start heading towards Gethsemane um, and now it's Gethsemane Jerusalem they're here and here we're still we're still in the very we're in the final hours of Jesus's um, life before he's arrested and crucified so we're still in these final last few hours and as we move on to John 15 and this final night, uh, and Jesus continues to impart and give guidance to the living disciples, it's almost like he's 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 like reiterating. And as you read these next few chapters, he's like much of it is reiterating like all he has taught uh, the disciples in the first three years, um, and he's almost like shrinking it down into little segments and bringing to remembrance the real foundational stuff. But also, Jesus knew they would still be trying to manage all that's going on. So I don't know about you, but sometimes you're getting taught stuff, but then you're managing all the other things that's going on and they're having to manage that. So uh, I believe he's not only, only teaching them, but he knows all things and uh, he's remembering uh, He's bringing all things to them. Remember in the previous chapter when it says the Holy Spirit's purpose is to bring all things in, into remembrance. So Jesus is teaching now we, it, we have future understanding in mind. He'll, Jesus will understand and he'll know, of course, that at the time that they're not going to capture everything he's saying. But, but, but we also know that promise of the Holy Spirit coming that will bring all things into remembrance. And I was talking to someone this week and I, I gave this illustration the other day and it's like a sat-nav. You get into a car and you type in your destination in your sat-nav. Um, you do that first. You do that before you set off. Uh, but then you need to listen to the instruction as the journey unfolds. And often Christ is teaching there is a destination. And often, you no, know, if I'm helping people or pastoring people, sometimes I give them the, the 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 destination. But then we have to walk people through that. So, uh, and that's what Jesus is doing. And here we come to this now wonderful section, which we'll be into now for weeks. And John chapter 15, it's a wonderful chapter, John chapter 15, and uh, you'll know it, you'll know more, a lot of the verses from it, they're much quoted, uh, and Jesus continued to teach the disciples, first he teaches them about relationships, I love it in uh, MacArthur's study Bible, he talks about, he first teaches about the relationships with him, then he teaches the relationship with each other, then he teaches the disciples the relationships that they should have with the world, uh, and we won't get through all these verses today, we'll only get through a couple to be honest with you. Uh, 
but we'll make a start on it today. Let's read the eight verses uh, in John 15, the first eight verses where we'll be in for the next few weeks. And it says, I am the true vine and my father is the fine, fine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit in it of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me or apart from me, we can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire. And they are burned if you abide in me. And my word abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Jesus starts by sharing a parable in the first two verses. And I'll read them again. I am the true vine. My Father is the fine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit it's important uh, to not get carried away and I think this is often and as I look back at uh, where we were as a church in the past and certainly how I studied and and where I often hear not just not just in pragmatic church you, you often hear this and with, with scholars as well and it's important not to get carried away with these verses these first two verses because it's a parable it's a story it's 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 given an illustration it's a picture it's not uh, it's no facts, it's, it's talking of a picture to help the disciples and in turn us to understand the point. And often what happens is, with the, and I'm, I'm sure not all of you will do this, I certainly have in the past, and I've, I've seen people doing this, uh, and it's no helpful. Uh, but it's not uncommon for people to get carried away with parables, and before long the whole point changes. So one of the things that we are going to do over the course of this morning as we teach this uh, is that uh, we're, going to, we're not going to get carried away with parables as I've done in the past and I've heard many other people teach this. J.C. Ryle warns of this quite astutely and he says this, We must understand it is a parable and as a parable it must be interpreted as that. He adds, neglect of this caution does much harm to the souls of believers. And, and Ryle, when he says that, he says a lot more, but he's very adamant as, he, as we read these first two verses that we don't, as teachers or studiers, that we get carried away with these verses. And often what happens, we study, we, we go too far and we lose track of really what the scripture means. And this morning, we're just going to hammer home really what it means and no get to things that it's not saying. Calvin warns us as well. And uh, these are only a few of the commentators that I've read, a few of the scholars that I've read who's warned of this. I'm sure many other do. Um, and it's, Calvin says this, we should not investigate every single property of the vine, but only consider the general object of Christ. And that truly ties in what Ryle's saying is that when we start to dig into vines and branches and look to the horticulture of them, if you like, uh, and how they grow and 
where they grow and what season they grow in. And before you know it, you're into the, the, the depth of uh, what a vine is. And I would say to any of you who are, who are studiers or, 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 or future teachers, or maybe you're already teaching us, is be very wary that you don't step away so far that you end up studying for hours and days and end about what season branches grow and what seasons they don't grow and what was the vine and where was the vine and what, what kind of temperature did the vine need to be to grow and this is what ends up happening I've done it myself I, I, in fact as I was studying here this week I was remembering times and I'm thinking my goodness how far have I came away from the scripture and the point uh, and, and the problem is with that is you end up missing Jesus as you get caught up in it. And this is the thing that started to happen at one time uh, in Christian universities. No, way back if you think of the great universities, Princeton, even even in UK, Oxford, what would start to happen as, as, as time went on, uh, and you remember these, these universities were truly grounded in the world at one point. Um, and what started to happen as, as, as time goes on, they stopped studying the scripture. Uh, and stop pointing to Christ. And before you know it, they're away studying things that don't really matter uh, they're, because they're no longer studying the objects of Christ. No, one of the things I read about, it was in Princeton that a lot of people were studying was, what weight was the stone that was rolled away? What weight was it? As if that matters. Uh, or here's another one that I've heard people talking about a lot. You know, and you, you'll see this, uh, you'll maybe have heard this. I've, I've even heard people debating about this. How shallow was the water during the Red Sea when they get parted and they get away and look and they start looking at, you know what, that was only one feet, that was only one feet deep and there were a big wave came because people have studied that there were a storm and then that storm came in. That's why the Red Sea parted and you're thinking, that's the kind of thing that misses the point. Now, of course, the Red Sea parting in Moses' time is not a parable, but but we have to be very careful that we don't go f so far away into our studies that it brings us it brings us away from the actual object of Christ, and all these things start to do that and um, take us away, and people start to study the wrong thing. And we have to be very careful as we study in these verses about Jesus being the vine, the true vine, and the branches that we don't lose track of what Jesus is saying. And this is what I want to keep hammering home. The best way to probably do that is, is read the whole chapter. Uh, and often what happens, and I think one of the mistakes that we would make in our uh, years ago in the pragmatic setting and how we would teach us, we would just take snippets of messages, verses and then we would adapt them as suit. We'd be eisegesis in our message, meaning we'd be taking what we wanted at it and adapting it to suit. And, and, and always in that is then we just truly lose the power of Christ and the power of the word. Um, and, and one thing that I find I'm always being convicted in, or a lot more anyway over the last few years, is to keep Jesus in the conversation. And I don't know about you, often even in conversations, never mind if you're studying, so some of you may be saying here is, well, I, I don't really... I don't feel as if I'm going to be teaching the word at that level, getting into parables. But, but every single one of us will be, are called to evangelise and, and bring the gospel to people's life. And often what we can tend to do is, and I'm always challenged with this because uh, I never used to be challenged, but often what would happen is, is I'm starting to have conversations with people. I would veer so far away from Christ to give a point 
that I would be no longer bringing the gospel to people's lives. It would be no longer anywhere near the gospel because it would be my idea or my taking things and it simply would move away. And this is the, the, the warning here. And uh, it's a discipline that we all must learn. The modern church goes so far away from the text that the text is no longer in sight whatsoever. Um, and when the word is no longer doing the work, then as we know, there will be a little change. And I believe this is the, the warning that both Ryle and Calvin is saying. Indeed, Hendrickson says similar. He says, these passages must be understood and that this was during one night and each verse as, adds weight to the previous one. And if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of the forest while studying the trees, which is so true. So we're away in the vine and we're forgetting the whole point. So I would say, as you study, read the whole chapter. Um, read it all the way through. Understand the verses, then work your way back through it. Uh, and read it as Christ intended to read it. Um, also, when you chat or teach to people or kids, don't take the illustration beyond the point of return. And I know we don't, as we have taught kids in our kids' ministry, uh, about, just for instance, an example would be Noah and uh, Noah's Ark, how we've done it. And often you would see this, and Noah's Ark would almost be like a cartoon where there would be a giraffe looking out a window, and then next to it would be a zebra looking out a window, and it almost becomes, you're teaching kids something that's no... No, yes, you want to make it adaptable to the kids, but we don't have to turn God's word into a cartoon. Uh, and and he's no Noah's Ark's this quirky boat. Uh, at least I hope we're not doing that in kids anyway. Uh, okay, with, with that thought, let's let's look at the first few verses again. Uh, John fifteen verse one: I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Uh, this is not the first time this illustration is used or this parable. We find it in various times in the Synoptic Gospels, which would be Mark, Luke and Matthew. Um, Mark 12 would be one uh, that comes to mind. Uh, also in the Old Testament, Psalm 80 talks of the vine being uh, the God-man or a better way of putting it, the Son of Man. Um, here Jesus says, I am the true vine. The Old Testament, Israel is depicted as um, God's vineyard and is what God uh, means by this and it's how he puts it. But Israel has, as we know, is rejected. We know that Israel has rejected the true vine. Israel uh, has rejected Jesus. The Jews have mostly rejected Jesus. He is the true vine in whom all things grow. So when Jesus says, I am, this is his seven I am's, Jesus says, and this is the last one, I am the true vine. Uh, the true vine meaning alethinos, uh, it's where we get the word aletheia. Aletheia means truth. So alethinos is, Jesus is saying, I am the genuine one. I'm the real deal here. And Jesus is the true God, the complete vine and uh, the all in all and the Jews never seen him as the true vine, but they seen him as more of a, a good quality branch. You know, before I get saved, I seen Jesus as a good quality branch, you know, pretty, pretty decent, upstanding guy, good teacher, uh, but know the true vine. Just, 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 a, and the Jews seen him as a prophet, but know the true vine, know the, 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 the one that, know the, the God man. Uh, and Israel therefore has became fruitless, 
If you look at Israel today, you, you may look no further than Israel today, uh, and especially in the last year where Israel have went uh, during this situation. And Israel has just went totally, they're so far away, uh, putting people in camps and all sorts of stuff is happening in Israel at the moment, uh, as, as many other places have as well, because... The problem is, is because they're no, and the, they're no connected to the vine. Therefore, there is no fruit, and that's what you see. Uh, most Jewish people who would be, and I don't mean all, but many of them are just that by name. It means very little other than that. And that vineyard then was Israel. Uh, you see that in the Old Testament. However, Israel rejected and rebelled against God. Um, Isaiah 5, 1 to 7, let's go there, Old Testament, and we'll, we'll get to understanding the vine a bit more. Uh, and this is what Isaiah says in 5, uh, 1 to 7, this is a song. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out the stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in, in its midst and also made a, a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, O men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done it, done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes and now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard I will take away its hedge you always hear that in prayers don't you hedge of protection I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned and I shall break down its wall and it shall be trampled down I will lay it waste it shall not be pruned or dug but there shall come up briars and thorns I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plan. He will look he looked for justice, but behold oppression for righteousness, but behold a cry for help. And here is God tells us his vineyard is Israel, and he being the vine master or the vine dresser, but the people all, although they had all the help. All the best nourishment, all the best God could give them, but they kept producing ungodly things. God had set them in a wonderful place. God had gave them all the choice protection from enemies. God had gave them everything to grow and have a godly life and to remain in him. Yet, even then, they only produced sour grapes. Poison berries is all they produce with all that possible good stuff. Why? Because they were separated from God. They were, they were away doing their own thing. They were not honouring God. God gave them the best land. He even says that he clears all the rubble. He removes all the things that would stop their life from growing. Removed enemies. Protected them with a hedge. That prayer protected them. And God gave the people all that. He gave the Israelites all this. 
Yet when the vine master looks at what they have produced because of that, they've only grown wild sour grapes, not fit for nourishing anyone. And I'm sure if you look at that, you go, you know, I can look at that in my life before I was saved. And before I was saved, I had the opportunity, the word was there. I'd maybe heard of Christ. Uh, uh, I'd maybe heard some sound teaching and some things. But because I was not connected to the vine, regardless of what teaching I was received, it never produced good fruit. It never produced anything but more sour grapes and bitterness. I could have listened to, for me, I listened to a lot of psychology stuff and different teachings. I was part of a, a recovery group where it was a 12-step program and never because I was not connected to Christ, the true vine, it never produced anything except more sourness and bitterness. And here's the perfect picture for all our lives. Before we were saved, and even it's sadly at times when we are, God gives us all, and yet we only produce sour, bitter fruit. Even though he's done all to make it good for us, when we're not connected to Christ, doing things, all things through Christ who strengthens us, what happens is that we don't produce the good fruit. So God then calls Isaiah the prophet, his prophet mouthpiece. This is a section. Isaiah is the first great prophet. So you go through the Bible, you've got, you've got the covenant with Abraham, then you've got judges, then you've got kings, and then prophets. And here we are on the prophets. And the next chapter is amazing. Let's go to Isaiah, Isaiah 6, next chapter, verse 1. And this is an amazing few verses where we see God saving a man. And this is, this is Old Testament salvation here. If you want to ever look at the... <laughs> Old Testament salvation's astounding how God does it. You know, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling in New Testament, but here it's just... It's, a, it's, it's another level. And it's astounding. Uh, but the parallels are also astounding to our own salvation and then how God uses us. So God has done all for the people, okay? So he's done all for Israel. He's done all for the Jews. Yet they keep producing nothing. Well, it's not that they produce nothing. It's they produce nothing fit for nourishment. They have all the opportunities, but they're rebelled from God. So God calls Isaiah the first major prophet and he says this, Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that the king Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting. This is, this, is, this is Isaiah speaking. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of the robe filled the temple. You hear songs about all this. Above it stood a seraphim. Each one had six wings with two. He covered his face with two. He covered his feet with two. He flew and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. So here is Isaiah has seen the glory of God. He's seen God in all his glory. No, maybe completely. He's seen God sitting on his throne. He's had a revelation of God at this point. He's seen his true holiness. And what's that? what happens to Isaiah? He is floored. 
You remember when you had that experience when you first met Christ? You're like when you had that encounter when 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 grace came upon your life and you were floored by the knowledge and the understanding of who God is. And what is Isaiah's first words? It's amazing when we see who God is in His fullness or Christ in His fullness. Um, for a tr- when when you have this encounter with God, you, this is the, this is always the experience that no, they might vary, but this is intends what happens internally. What's Isaiah's first words? It's no. Oh, this is awesome. Wow. I didn't experience, all like the charismatics. Oh, I didn't experience up a mountain with a lot. That's not Isaiah's experience. Uh, and it's not, none of your experience that those are truly saved and connected to thine. Uh, and what's God done? God has opened Isaiah's eyes. He was blind, but now I can see. Uh, and he's experienced God and he, God's opened his eyes. And what does, I, what does Isaiah say? This is the first words that Isaiah says after he sees this. So he said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. First thing Isaiah understands when he sees all of God's goodness, he realizes how bad he is. He sees how much of a sinner he is. But then he goes on and says, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Well, what's a wonderful thing for my eyes. What does he say then? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What's Isaiah saying? Whoa, I am a horrible sinner. I am done. I'm unworthy. But also notice this. I'm not only a sinner. I am totally surrounded by sin. Because it's not only I'm a man of unclean lips, I am totally surrounded by darkness and sinfulness. And everyone else could probably identify with that in some way or another when, when you first had your, where, where you were first saved, and no, where, where you were first elect and called, when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, it says in Ephesians, and yet, and yet God opened your eyes. The first thing you're like, oh, I'm a sinner. But you don't just see your own sin, you see everything round about you. You you can almost see all things clearly. Um, I'm not a sinner and if I'm not a sinner, uh, then I'm okay, I'm surrounded by them because, uh, I'll say that again, Uh, Isaiah's seen that he's a sinner and he's not only seen that he's a sinner, he's just seen everything round about him. why has he seen that? Because he's seen the true king. And he's seen the vine master and he sees everything wicked round about him. Isaiah is full of repentance. But he can also see sin all around him because he's seen what truly good is and it's measured against it. So then God in verse 6 says, Then one of the Zeraphim flew to me, Isaiah continues, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs of the altar. And he, he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin has been purged. This is, this is, this is Isaiah getting saved here. And what, what God's done is, is God's word, God, God's holiness has touched Isaiah and he's cleansed his sin. He's purged his sin. God cleanses him, he restores him. He takes away his sin and puts his cleansing hands on his lips, as it were. And then in verse 8, Isaiah goes on and says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? 
and whom will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah then hears from the vine master from God differently. He is no longer hiding. He says, here I am, send me. Up until that point, he's nowhere near God. He's because he was a man of unclean lips, then it took God to reveal who he was. Isaiah repents. God cleanses him. And then he sends him. You remember Adam hid his sin. Where are you, Adam? I'm hiding. Yet when Isaiah's cleansed, where are you, Isaiah? Here I am. Send me. God cleanses Isaiah's sin and Isaiah then is the man with clean lips. Then God tells him what to say. This is next. God tells him. Often what happens is, I'll, I'll just finish, say here with verse 9 before we move on. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive. And now Isaiah is now the mouthpiece and speaking for God and calls out truth because he's no longer a man with unclean lips but a man whose sin's been taken away, a man who is connected to the vine. And often what happens is, is that we unfortunately have unrepent of um, false teachers who have never even encountered God teaching their own means in their own ways and they're not a mouthpiece for God because they've never really repented and here they are speaking on God's behalf. Isaiah was not fit to speak on God's behalf. He was not fit to speak of what he could see round about him because he had not yet repented and been saved by God and therefore he was no longer, he was not a man fit to speak for God until that point. If we go really forward, let's go to, let's go to chapter 53 here. Um, this, is a, this is an amazing chapter as we know of Isaiah. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Talking about the true, true vine here. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yet we hid us, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, yet by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah is talking about the true vine. The one who takes away the sins of the world. Isaiah had that encounter in the Old Testament with God. Now we will have it in Christ. It's him that gives us clean lips. Okay, let's get back to John now and hopefully maybe with slightly more context. Eh? Um, I am the vine. I am the true vine. And the father is the vine dresser or the vine dresser. All that goodness, all that perfection, all that protection, all that cover, all that removing, all that Hedge of protection. All that covering from the enemies that God did and offered to the Israelites in the Old Testament is now on Christ. 
All the fruit the Father has bestowed on me. I am the true vine. And more than that, I am the Father are one. I am all your source, Jesus is saying here. I am the true vine. I am all your source. I am the one that now gives you clean lips. I am the one that will open your eyes. I am the one who will allow you to see truth and sin all around you. Then he says, my father is no absent in the process. We do know that because we know that the spirit, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the son and the spirit of the father the Holy Spirit. And this verse does not mean God and the Son are no one, but again shows the distinct roles. Jesus takes the role of the vine and the Father, the, the vine dresser. So if we remain in Christ, which we will when we're saved, and we'll hear about that in a few verses, we see that by remaining in Christ, God starts to prune our lives to mould more into Christ's image and shape. Verse 2 there, for... Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away in every branch that bears fruit. He, pr he prunes that it may produce more. So firstly, every branch in me, meaning everyone who's connected with Christ, but maybe not saved, God will cut off. I can honestly tell you here that I've I, I read this scripture wrong for years. I've I never seen this as the people who are saved and the people who are not saved. And maybe someone's going like, really, Mark? Many of them claim to be followers of Christ are producing no fruit whatsoever. They are but socially connected. The Israelites had all this. The Jews had all this. They were connected to God, but they were producing nothing. And many, many people who will be connected with God and connected with Christ will produce no fruit because they're, they're only associating with Him. They're not bearing fruit. They are like the Jews in Isaiah. They have all the teachings, all the help. But they're not truly connected to the vine, the true vine. And Jesus tells the disciples, these people will be cut off. Just like Judas an hour ago. That sounds crazy, wouldn't it? Just like Judas an hour ago. It's like, it seems like ever ago. I think that was eight or nine weeks ago we talked about that. But also, that does not mean instant cut. And this is important to say this. It can be a long time. God will not always cut unbearing fruit. And an unsaved person out of his life right away. They can remain there a long time. Because we know God does as he pleases. What, what for? Often for the sake at times of the, the true believer's fruit. Don't you know that branches sometimes need uh, some not so nice smelly things round about them. Some plants need certain things round about them melt and grow. And often you will be around people who are associates of the vine but they're bearing no fruit whatsoever but God doesn't cut them off right away because sometimes it helps us and it's part of God's big plan and sometimes we don't understand that but it's also to teach us and uh, we'll move on with this as time's starting to go at times a true believer having been pruned can often look like one who is bearing no fruit 
It can often look like that. And a great example is of the parable of the wheat and the tares. If we go to that for a moment, and Jesus tells about this in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, let's go to this, verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant of the owner come and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant important that I say that word. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, less well you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let's both grow together until the harvest. Let's both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, different servants, reapers, just bear that in mind. First gather together the tears and bind them in bundles. It's another word to remember there, bundles. It's not the odd tear that gets in amongst the church at times and believers. There's bundles of them. If it were only the odd one, it would be easy, but they're not. There is often, therefore, there are bundles of them. There can be many, un there can be many people around the vicinity of the vine master as they are true believers, we know believers, because they're collecting bundles to burn them which we know what that means. Uh, they are same as the verse before about burning. Uh, but gather the wheat into my barn. We know what that is as well as heaven, kingdom. So here we have true believers and true unbelievers together. Just as it says in John 15. Them who are not bearing fruit, God will cut off. Them that are bearing fruit, they'll prune it, they'll produce more fruit cultivating a believer's life. And here we have true believers and true unbelievers together. And it tells us that the enemy scatters tares amongst the wheat. That's the enemy does. The enemy will use unbelievers and scatter them amongst believers. But what we know is what the devil intended for harm, God intended for good. And why would the enemy do that? Why does the enemy put Tears in amongst wheat. I'll tell you why, because if you read the scripture, it's because what did the servant say? Will we go and pluck them up? And, and if, if we look at the word servants, we could probably say immaturity. Immaturity. And often what happens is, and the enemy knows this, and he goes, you know what, we'll get the immature servants and they'll go, I'll deal with them, I'll deal with them. Before you know it, the, what they're trying to, what the enemy's trying to do is, is they're trying to get people who who are still young and immature in their faith, if you like, and don't understand. They're no true reapers. They've not truly reaped the reward of God. And they try and then go, well, we'll go and pluck up the tares with the wheat. And before you know it, you've got true believers getting plucked away. Now, we know that nobody will be plucked out the hand of Christ, but they certainly could cause a lot of trouble when you've got tares in amongst wheat that's making people second-guess themselves, that's making people question themselves, that's allowing more unbelievers to take them along in a journey. If maybe you look at your own life, certainly mine, I'll, I'll, I'll be better an example of mine. Uh, I believe that, you know, I get saved by grace, but I was part of churches that had more tears than they did wheat. Way more tears than they did wheat. 
And in fact, more of the tears were running the show than the wheat was running the show. <laughs> and before you know it, I'm getting carried along. We away with that as immaturity and people who did not know the word are plucking me up along with them. And scatters them. So the farmer whom is God here says, no, leave them. Leave them both. Let them grow together. And he then says, when the harvest has come, then they who are mature, the reapers, not the hired hand, but they who are truly reaping the fruit of God, they will be able to tell the difference between the tares and the wheat. And obviously, as they start to grow, they develop. Again, you can get carried away with all that about what wheat and tares are and take the parable away in an offshoot. The problem is often we have hired hands dealing very handedly with crops. We have poor people who are poor teachers of the word who are very heavy handed because they're no skilled reapers who have already bared fruit and they should be one handling the tares. Uh, I think I've seen this in time. Uh, been a Christian a, a, a long time, I'm thinking, you know, you're probably not the best person to be dealing with that person now because, because you're not really reaping the fruit so far. So maybe maybe you're not the one to be put in that position. And often there's an immaturity go, I'll deal with this, I'll deal with this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going on North Lanarkshire area. I'll deal with this, I'll, I'll tell them. And you're thinking, you're very heavy-handed there because you, you're actually not understanding the difference. And if I had to ask this, are there times in your life you're going, you know what, I've, I've actually handled them as if they were a tear when actually they were being pruned? The enemies are also them who are causing this damage. One last thing, notice, it's not one of the two tears, as I said, there is bundles. It's bundles of them. Bundles and bundles have got among believers. But the truth is, if they are no part of Christ, they will be burned in the end and the rest will be in the storehouse of God. Uh, we'll inherit the kingdom and the rest will inherit eternal damnation. Uh, this is the same as true of this verse in John 15, 2 as time's gone. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. They're still in Christ. What do you mean in Christ? And this is where I used to get mixed up. Oh, they're in Christ. And I used to see this scripture crazy lately. That was parts of my life that wasn't bearing fruit and God will take it away to help me. Never ever seen it as a believer and an unbeliever. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Social Christians, people who are not saved, looking for benefit but no producing any fruit. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may produce more fruit. And we need to allow God to do the pruning. And we also need to know that not all pruning is cutting. And that's the problem is when we're more immature or sometimes I think we can get caught on this and we think, you know what, I'm not sure they're even safe based on their behaviour. And you're thinking, but they're already producing some fruit. They're just some not so nice things run about that fruit. And we can take great comfort if you're in Christ in the true vine that even in your pain and your at times trial 
that you don't lose your fruit. And as time goes on in maturity, you know, we get through trials and pruning, but we've no lost that fruit, love, joy, peace. There's still an element of that while we're being pruned. It's only non-believers that will not produce any fruit. There's the difference. It's just that God clears some of the stones. It's just he's saying, Isaiah, he cleared the stones. He, he clears some of the dead things in our life that's no help in our sinful old life in order for the fruit and the, the light, the true light to help us grow. If we're not producing any fruit, therefore I would pray that you truly need to repent and allow the blood of Christ to cleanse your lips. For what reason? That we may bear fruit. And that's the whole point, and we'll get through these over the next um, few weeks. I'm just going to read these verses to close. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the words which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And this is, I love verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. How wonderful are these verses um, that we'll go through over the next few weeks. And many as know as we, so I suppose the challenge is this, that we have to allow God to prune us and realise that all that has helped us produce more fruit. But we also know without abiding in the word, uh, we will not know the truth that will set us free as we get into that. We will not know that, we will not see that and will not produce lasting fruit. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.